Please turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 119. Be looking at verses 65 through 72. This morning, I want us to consider a topic that is a hard one, but I hope that it is a blessing to you as you consider it. It is on the benefits of affliction. And as I've gotten to know many of you, I see that everyone is fighting a hard battle. Some of you have lost children. Some of you have lost your husbands, your wives. Many of you have lost parents. Or you are caring for those who are near and dear to you who are suffering. And it is it weighs on you heavily. This morning, I want us to consider in God's word some of the reasons why God would allow affliction to come into our lives. Because that's one of the questions that we first ask. You know, why? Why me? If you haven't suffered at all yet, well, I hope you're enjoying the present, but I, you also need to prepare because God has not, in his wisdom and his goodness, has not designed your life to be always easy. Suffering will come. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, whether it is our own sickness and death or those of whom we love, or pain of persecution, losing our jobs, being betrayed, it is the sad fact that in this world you will face difficulties. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. So this morning I want us to consider how we ought to view and to respond to the affliction that God has placed upon us in life. This is God's word, Psalm 119, verses 65 72. <clears throat> you have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would teach us what you would have us to learn from your word, help us to grow from it, to submit to your sovereign will in our lives in a way that's glorifying to you. And encourage us, comfort us, Lord, this morning as we deal with this difficult topic. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I'm going to focus specifically on verses 67 
and 71 of this passage, but there's a couple things that I want to point out about the context of this psalm, which I'm assuming is a psalm of David. Now, many of you know about this psalm. If you were in Sunday school class last week, you would have heard us discussing it. And there's this great theme all throughout almost every verse of God's Word, God's statutes, God's laws. And it's focused on that. But you'll also notice, if you read it carefully, several underlying themes. And one of those underlying themes is that David is experiencing conflict and affliction. It comes up in about 12 different verses, uh, showing us that this psalm is not just an ode to God's law, but it comes at a specific time in David's life where there is suffering. He usually refers to either the arrogant, who are forging a lie against him, or the wicked, who may be the same people, who have laid a trap for him. Verse 69 in our passage says, the arrogant have forged a lie against me. You see, David is oppressed by evil men. He is persecuted. And even this is not outside of God's hand. God has turned it for good. Even more than that, notice in verse 75, secondly, that although he is persecuted by the wicked, David recognizes that this affliction has come from God. So this is just a few verses beyond where I read, verse 75. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. So even when affliction comes from the arrogant, from the wicked, we must also recognize that God is sovereign over all and that all things that come to pass come to us from God. So even when affliction comes from the hand of the wicked, it is also from God's hand. Whoever brings an affliction, be sure of this, that God is the one who sent it. But God has not acted in unfaithfulness in these things. This is the third brief point about the psalm I want to, you to notice in this context. And that is the goodness of God. All the affliction in our passage is placed in this greater context of God's goodness. Verse 65, you have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. You are good, verse 68, and do good. Teach me your statutes. God's goodness is the greater context in which all of our affliction occurs in life. It really that's the context not just of our passage here, but of history. God was good when he created the world and made it very good before sin entered the world. God is good when this brief parenthetical time of suffering is all over and God has created a new creation and there is no more crying or sadness or mourning or pain or death. One day this time will seem very brief, not not worthy to be compared to the glory, the eternal weight of glory that is awaiting us. So we see that this is the rule, and there are no exceptions to it. You have dealt well with your servants, O Lord, according to your word. God is good, and he does good, even when we are afflicted.
And so if all affliction comes from God ultimately, and God always deals well with us, that puts affliction in a whole new light, doesn't it? Affliction comes from God's sovereign hand. Everything your father has ordained is right. It's used for our good. This is not an accidental result. Rather, this is the main point. All the afflictions that God has sent upon you are sent with a purpose. Every affliction has an errand. And this is the first thing that you must come to grips with when we struggle with the afflictions that God has placed upon us. Know that it is not random. God has not somehow fallen asleep and something happened to you outside of his knowledge or outside of his control. God knew it. God is ordaining it, overruling it for your good. Now, I don't mean by this that all afflictions are sent merely for a reason. David went astray, and David was afflicted. And you could say, rightly, that he deserved to be disciplined. That's true, but that's not what I mean. I mean all affliction is meant to change us for good. It is either sent to bring us back to God or to cause us to grow in maturity. Either God means to kill the sin within us or to cause us to grow in holiness. And we see both of these purposes in our passage today. Now, there are three main points I want us to consider today in this. First, it is not to your advantage to be continually at ease. It's not good for you that everything goes your way. Before David was afflicted, he went astray. Then secondly and thirdly, we will consider these two benefits of affliction. One, that God uses afflictions to cause us to return to him. And secondly, God uses affliction to cause us to grow in holiness. Thirdly, rather. So in the first place, it is not good for us to always be free of affliction. Now, we often think it is. We think it's good when everything's going well. But we are in danger then in ways that are worse than the affliction that God places upon us. You remember David. He says, before I was afflicted, I I went astray. This was the man after God's own heart. As a shepherd, he fought a lion, he fought a bear, and he fought a giant with great confidence and he defeated him. Now, God had earlier anointed David the future king, but David had to wait patiently for God's timing, even when Saul was chasing him through the wilderness and trying to put him to death. His heart was so tender then, you might remember that he regretted even when he cut off just the corner of Saul's robe. But when he came to be king, He got to be at ease. And while everyone else was at war, you remember the story, David gets up from from sleeping in the evening, taking a long nap, I guess, and he's walking around on the roof of his palace and he sees his neighbor's wife. And he soon commits adultery. He betrays his army. 
he has one of his mighty men killed. And this is proof of the point. When David wasn't afflicted, he was weak, and he went astray, this mighty man of God, man after God's own heart. Now, we know this, but we so quickly forget it. You children might be happy to sit and watch cartoons all day long, or to eat candy instead of your vegetables, and to never brush your teeth. But that wouldn't be good for you. As adults, we are just as easily spoiled. Have you ever considered that perhaps God has put something in your life, something horrible, it seems, or God has withheld something that you think is good for you because he knows that you couldn't handle having that, having the good thing? If you had more success or knowledge, you might be proud. If you had more health, or ease, or wealth, you might forget God and become prayerless. It's easy to trust in wealth when you have it. And then when God takes it away, you find yourself having to turn to him because your false Christ that you had hoped in is gone. So sometimes when God gives us blessings, he also gives us some affliction along with it. So Charles Spurgeon compared us to sailboats. I know some of you like sailing. And when you're sailing, you desire good, strong wind to speed you along. And so we pray that God would send us a wind and speed us along in the path we want to go. But in addition to this, descending the wind, he also puts ballast in the boat that slows us down. And we find this confusing. We say, God, I'm thankful for this nice breeze, but... I'm not sure why you put this ballast in the boat. Why are you slowing me down? But what you don't know is without the ballast, your vessel would be too light. The wind would be too strong. And you would be blown over and shipwrecked. And brothers and sisters, have you ever considered that God perhaps is not giving you some things out of mercy? This was the case with Paul. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul was given heavenly visions. And along with the visions, he was given a thorn in his side, which he longed for God to remove. And Paul came to learn that God had given, them, given him this thorn in the side precisely because of the visions, the surpassing greatness of the revelations to keep him from exalting himself. So he says this in 2 Corinthians and because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself, he repeats. So God knew that the apostle Paul himself couldn't handle the blessing that God had given him without also some affliction to humble him. Neither could David in our passage. So, so too, brothers and sisters, you and I cannot handle a life of perfect comfort in this world. Now, in heaven, things will be different. Things will always be wonderful. But right now, our hearts are so desperately sick, so weak, that the too much ease will make us even weaker. It'll make us, prayer, make us prayerless, 
earthly-minded, forgetful of God, unthankful, spoiled, and addicted to this world. We forget that from Genesis 3.15 to Revelation 20, the Bible is a military history of a spiritual war. And we cannot expect to be at ease in it. And yet many Christians, for some reason, think that when they come, become Christians, all their diseases will just go away. And God will bless them and give them everything will go well for them. Uh, they expect a life of ease, health, and wealth with children who all come to know the Lord, who have no, no physical defects, who all grow up to be godly people in the church. We expect that God would have us walk on a red carpet all the way to heaven in a world that is yet not at peace with God and that is at war with us. But you see, our hearts are still sick. We're too easily addicted to this world. Second Chronicles 26 tells us that King Uzziah sought the Lord when he was a young man. But it says, when he became strong, his heart grew proud, and he was unfaithful to God. When King Nebuchadnezzar was powerful, you remember he boasted, and God humbled him. Lot chose the better land, and he was almost destroyed by his choice with Sodom. Now, too much good is not good for us now. If we have everything we want, you will never know what it truly means to live by faith. If you have everything your way, you will never know what it means to deny yourself, to take up your cross, and to follow God. This is the beginning of the journey for disciples. We must have it as much as we don't like it, like going to the doctor and getting a shot or having surgery that's painful. It's meant, it's, it's, although it's painful, it's meant to make you better. And we must, we must keep it in that light. God is using our afflictions to make us more holy. We need it. Otherwise, we would never learn to exercise our faith. We would never cling to God when things are going all well. So this brings me, secondly, to some of the benefits of affliction. Affliction is one of the means by which God converts sinners and causes his children to repent and come back to him. Affliction, you must also remember, is not necessarily because of any particular sin that you committed. You can think of uh, Job, who was greatly afflicted, but not for anything in particular that he did. Or the man who was born blind, and people had asked Jesus, was it because of his sin or his parents' sin that this happened? And Jesus said, neither. Right? But rather that God's glory might be displayed in him. But nevertheless, if, if Adam had not sinned, if there wasn't sin in this world, there would be no affliction. And so affliction is nevertheless always for us a reminder of sin, which is the great cause behind all suffering. So we ought to use all our affliction as an opportunity to search our hearts, to examine ourselves, and to turn from our sins 
to God. Without affliction, it's almost as if people are drunk with the love of the world. We must be shaken out of it. Men will pursue wealth or power or something else in this world in, a, in an atheistic way and try their best to suppress the fact that they cannot keep it. And then sickness comes, or a loved one dies, and their pride and their self-confidence is shattered. You can see men who are often near death begin to think less and less of the passing pleasures of this world. They start to think more seriously about God with whom they will uh, whom they will soon meet. They will think more and more about eternity, about heaven and hell, about the worth of the soul. And some who are powerful and at ease in the world are brought low and begin to wonder if they are ready to meet God. Any affliction that you experience in this world goes to show that the world is not as full of infinite pleasures as you might have hoped. And for believers, it increases our longing for heavenly rest and for Jesus to return and make all things new. It's a way of bringing us back to God. And wasn't this the case for Jonah? He ran away from God, and through affliction, God brought him back into his service with a more humble heart. King Manasseh is another example, hands down the worst king in Israel's history. He even sacrificed his own children to false gods. And then we are told in 2 Chronicles 33, it says, Therefore the Lord brought the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria against them, and they captured Manasseh with hooks and bound him with bronze, chain, bronze chains and took him to Babylon. And when he was in distress, he entreated the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. And if you continue to read, you'll see God not only forgave wicked King Manasseh, but he restored him to reign in Jerusalem. And thus, you see, Manasseh's chains were proved to be better for his soul than his crown was. We could think also of the prodigal son who, when he was wealthy, he went astray. When he was hungry and in a pigsty, he came to his senses. There's another story of the great 19th century minister, Scottish minister, Thomas Chalmers. He had been served for several years. During the week, as a professor of mathematics at the university. And the weekend, he would quickly whip together a sermon, and he was so good uh, that he was a well-respected preacher. And then he became a Christian. Chalmers would often say later what really brought him to understand the gospel was a particular year where his brother died, and then his sister died. And then he almost died and was laid low, confined to his bed for four months. And when he came out, he was a changed man. Brothers and sisters, the next time you are afflicted, remember, it comes from your Father's loving hand. It's meant for your good. Affliction is God's hospital. 
It is God's surgery. It's painful, but it's meant to remove from you that which is worse. Thirdly, God often sends affliction not only at times to cause us to repent, but to cause us to grow in holiness and in faith. This is David's testimony in this passage. He says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. It was good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. God meant not only to bring David to repentance, but to bring him back to God's word, to cause him to grow in holiness. So affliction, you see, is not just God's hospital. It's also God's gym where we are exercised and we grow stronger in really every way if we do not resist his training. There are some virtues we we call passive virtues, things like humility, patience. Uh, These virtues are all strengthened by affliction if we receive them in faith. Now, many people don't grow from their afflictions at all. But we are are called to not waste them uh, and to see his afflictions, even when we didn't do anything particularly wrong, as God's gracious way of exercising our faith, helping us to cling to him. When a storm comes, you cling to that area of security. You don't say, there's a storm here, I will leave it. But rather, you cling tighter. God is our high tower. By affliction, we may grow in humility. We may grow in heavenly-mindedness. We grow in sympathy and compassion for others who are suffering or who have suffered. We grow in patience, in thoughtfulness, in thankfulness. You know, it's a very small thing, but my air conditioning went out a few weeks ago, and I started thanking God for air conditioning. Afterwards, just a small first world problem. But it happens to everything. We, we don't really, we take advantage of it. We forget about God's goodness until it's gone. And then God, God causes us to be thankful, to, to be mindful of his blessings. In time, we will see, like David here, that in all our afflictions, God was good and does good. And he has dealt well with his servants. In God's merciful hand, affliction is like a fire which purges away our dross or a pruning hook that trims us and makes us more fruitful. These are from Scripture. James states this truth quite clearly when he writes, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In the case of Job, it was to strengthen his faith, to cause him to grow in holiness and godliness. The same for for Abraham when he was called to sacrifice Isaac. The same for Joseph when he was sold into Egypt as a slave by his brothers and then then thrown into jail for a crime he didn't commit. And then he stayed there for years. He was sold by his brothers when he was 17. He got out of jail when he was 30. In all this, he was wronged. And others meant it for evil. God meant it for good, that he might 
save Joseph and save his people. Moses also, instead of going straight from the palaces to be the deliverer of Israel, he was first reduced to being a shepherd, a has-been, in a foreign land until he was 80. There he learned humility. Brothers and sisters, look all throughout the Bible. You will see that the pattern is always the same. Anyone who is spiritually great first passes through great affliction. This was true even for the Lord Jesus, who though he never sinned at all, Hebrews says that he learned obedience by what he suffered. And thus, he can perfectly sympathize with us in our weakness from his own experience. And that, brothers and sisters, is a wonderful comfort in all of it, that in all of our afflictions, he was afflicted. Even now, he considers that when the church is persecuted, he is persecuted. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me, he said. Because, you see, we are his body. And this is the truly great end of all our afflictions. God is conforming us to the pattern of his son. It is a pattern of suffering first and then the glory to follow. You've often heard in Romans 8, 28, this verse, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him, to those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. But we sometimes forget the next verse. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. To be conformed to Christ. This is God's great purpose in our suffering, to form Christ in us, suffering first and then glory. As I've said before, John Owen said, to the extent that you understand the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow, to that extent you understand the Scriptures and no more. This is the pattern, not just for the, the head, but also for the body. God is causing us to walk a path of suffering. Yes, it's through the valley of the shadow of death, but our shepherd is with us. It leads to glory, to the Lord's house. Patience is meant to lead us to its perfect result. So how can we apply this? First, strive to recognize God's hand in every affliction. Everyone suffers in this sin-corrupted world. Not just Christians, but few are made better by their afflictions because they do not receive them with faith. Rather than, than learning how to glorify God in it, they begin to doubt God, turn from God, they blame God. Many think if, if things are not going well for them, God must not be good. You, brothers and sisters, are not to fall into that error. Do not judge God's love and God's wisdom by your circumstances. That's backwards. Rather, you are to learn to judge your circumstances in the light of God's love and wisdom. You might not understand it, but we must not murmur. We must rather remember that God gave his son for you, and so therefore there is nothing truly good that he would withhold from you. 
Remember, he is infinitely good. He is perfectly in control. He is wise beyond all our understanding. So he knows exactly what you need. So hold on to that truth and submit patiently and quietly under his hand. Secondly, besides just recognizing that God is sovereign and that God is for you, also try to benefit from your affliction. Examine your heart to see if there's any sin there. Return to God and cast all your cares upon him in prayer. You remember, it is okay to be sad. It is okay to ask God why. It is okay to mourn. Jesus himself wept at the tomb of Lazarus when he knew he was about to raise Lazarus in just a couple minutes. He still entered into our sadness. He still mourned. That is the right response to suffering. But in that sadness, we trust God. We trust in God's wisdom and we turn to him for comfort. He has the words of eternal life. Where else can we go? That is the attitude that we are to have. Now, don't simply turn to your friends or, or other things for comfort. Turn to God as your primary comfort. He is the God, indeed, of all comfort. And all who turn to him will find him to be so. Job 5, 7, Behold, how happy is the man whom God reproves. So do not despise the discipline of the Almighty, for he inflicts pain and gives relief. His, he wounds and his hands also heal. So seek to grow in patience, in trust, in self-denial, in longing for Christ's return when all this affliction will be forever ended. Use your afflictions as preparations, opportunities to prepare to meet God and take comfort. You are headed to a world where all suffering will be forever removed, where the loved ones that have passed away will be met again. And there will be no more mourning or crying or pain. Finally, seek to glorify God in your affliction. I want to close with a word of comfort to you who are afflicted. When you are bedridden and you feel like you can do nothing more to serve the Lord or to serve others, you will be tempted to think that you are of little value. But I want you to remember this, that you can glorify God just as much in the way that you suffer as you could in your outward service. God is glorified when we patiently and humbly endure the afflictions he places upon us. I want you to consider, did Jesus glorify God more by his amazing miracles or by offering himself up and submitting to the cross God placed upon him? You know it's the latter. We are also called to glorify God in our sufferings. First Peter 2, For this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience toward God, a man bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. First Peter 4, 19, Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. 
And take comfort, brothers and sisters. Your suffering does not make God love you any less. Far from it. His compassion only increases in your suffering. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your wisdom that you run the world differently than in our foolishness we would like. We ask that you would increase our faith, that we might trust you, that we might glorify you in all our losses, that you would teach us to hold the things that you have given us with an open hand, knowing that you give and you take away. Blessed be your name. In Jesus' name, amen.